You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Well, um, it's a great weekend. Thank you, Jim Acock, for praying for us and leading us to remember about those who have given their lives for the country and then tying it in with the one who gave his life for us, that we might have liberty for eternity, that we might have freedom to praise the Lord in his presence for all eternity because of what Jesus has done. And all of you who have served, we are so grateful, and especially for those who gave their lives in the service of our, our country. Next Sunday, as Jeff mentioned in the announcements, June 6th at 6.30 p.m. right here in the sanctuary, our next Grace Matter session will be held. And the topic, as he mentioned, is inerrancy or the notion that Scripture is without error in the original autographs or the original writings. What does that mean? We'll come and find out. That's what our panel of elders and staff and seminary students are going to be discussing next Sunday night. And I do hope that you will be interest, as interested in this session as you were about the recent session in which we discussed the implications um, for churches in the Equality Act that is currently under consideration in the Congress. So speaking of Congress, Scripture, which do you think has a greater impact? God's Word or the deliberations of the people's representatives in Washington, D.C.? Now, for those of us who are believers, the answer is beyond obvious. We understand that what Scripture says has far greater impact than what goes on in our day-to-day lives, even in government. And I know it feels like government's decisions have a huge impact on our lives. And while that is true, it doesn't come close to the impact that Scripture could should have upon us. How do we know God if he doesn't reveal himself to us? If we believe, as most of us do here, that scripture tells us about God, about his ways, who we are, what we must do to relate with him, and it's not just about being good. In fact, it's, the, it's a absolutely a now, a, not about just being good. It's about a personal relationship with him. How do we know how that happens? We are told in Scripture how the world came to exist, how it is going to end. We're told that salvation is in Jesus and in Him alone. The Bible points to two eternal destinations for all mankind. And so I think we can say with confidence that the words of this book are more important than the deliberations of leaders in temporary kingdoms. The Bible is God speaking to us. Today we begin a series called Another Summer in the Psalms. Now, how many of you remember the first summer in the Psalms that we did? All right, that shows how many new people there are because it was back in 2009. Of course, Scott remembers he did the design and so he's done this design as well. Thank you, Mr. Shambling. 
Um, we did the first one in the summer of 2009. The last time we went through the Psalms, we endeavored to look at all the different types of Psalms. Praise Psalms, lament Psalms, imprecatory Psalms. You know what the imprecatory Psalms are? That's when the writer is calling down judgment, God's judgment on God's enemies or the enemies of the writer. You know, break their teeth, let their children. Well, no, let's not go there just yet. It's in there, but we'll, we'll get to it in, in time if we decide to do one of those, if I decide on this series. And, of course, the Messianic or kingship psalms. This time is not going to be structured in the same way, although the structure of the psalms will be discussed along the way. So, have you ever thought about this? Most of Scripture could be characterized as God speaking to us. God saying something to us through his instruments. The Holy Spirit leading these men to write what we are to know. But Psalms might be mostly characterized as God's people speaking to him or about him. The Psalms have served as the hymn book. So we could really say it's God's people singing to him. This has been true through the ages, and in fact, today some churches have no hymn book except the Psalms, the Psalter. Our text today and next Sunday will be Psalms 1 and 2, appropriately enough, and these are introductory Psalms to the entire Psalter. No author is given to credit these two Psalms. You may have thought, well, surely David wrote these psalms. He may have, but he's not mentioned as the author of those two psalms. He wrote 73 at least that we know about, but he could have written these two. Even so, whoever wrote these two psalms, we, we recognize that God is the true author of all the psalms, and for that matter, all of Scripture. And so, right at the very beginning of Psalms, we encounter a wisdom psalm. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand, and then we are going to read the Scripture. And when I say we, I mean all of us are going to read Psalm 1 together. One of the beautiful features about the Psalms is that they translate nicely from Hebrew to almost any language, so that there's a structure and a flow uh, and a cadence to the psalm as you read it out loud. The English Standard Version is going to be on the screen, but I've substituted Yahweh for the Lord. And there's a very specific reason. That is his name. That's the name given in the Hebrew. And Yahweh is the name that God most often uses about himself when he is speaking directly to his covenant People, When he's thinking about relationship, it's capitalized in a lot of your Bibles, L-O-R-D. It's written as the Lord, and all letters are in caps. It's referring to Yahweh, God's name for his relation with his covenant people. So would you please stand and join me in the reading of God's word together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and on his law he meditates day and night. 
He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you and be seated. In the same way that we discovered that the prologue to John's gospel contained themes that would be repeated all the way out, all the way through the gospel of John. It's true here. Psalms 1 and 2 contain themes that will pop up over and over again in the Psalms. It's not that the writer of Psalm 1 doesn't understand that sometimes the people of God suffer while the wicked prosper. Just a few weeks ago, Asaph, as we say in the south, Asaph would be more of a Hebrew pronunciation. But I'm going to say Asaph just for, for ease because I'll, I'll revert to it anyway. Asaph in Psalm 73 talked about this. He said, I, I, I looked around and life just didn't seem fair at all. The people that try to serve God have troubles and it just, so like troubles are wrung out to them. And the people who hate God seem to be doing well all the way through the end of their lives. They die in prosperity. Their children go on prospering beyond them. But it was when Asaph went into the temple that he got perspective. And it was indeed this type of perspective that he received, the perspective that is given in Psalm 1. This is a big picture, if you will, of the truth about God and his people in a world that rejects both God and his ways. So as we begin to work our way through this psalm, you must know, this is important for us to remember, it is written to a people who understand that God has redeemed them, chosen them, redeemed them out of the world to be his children. He has forgiven their sins. And he's speaking to them and they sing his praises back to him. The first psalm is not a guide for learning how to get to God because we can't get to God on our own strength. But it is a guide for those who have been redeemed and called into his family. Psalm 1 serves as a gateway to the worship of Yahweh. And all who trust in him are welcome in the house of worship. Here, they will learn how to live as redeemed ones. That's going to be easy for Tristan and Haley and Peter this summer. They're going to be bombarded, surrounded with the word all the time. They're going to be knowing every day this is how to walk as one of the redeemed. But for us, we need to come to the house of the worship. We need to be inundated with scripture all the time, connecting with one another. And this all comes out as we go. And, and in Psalm 1, we learn how to live as those who have been redeemed. Verse 1 is a powerful way for the psalm to begin. I mean, it begins with a blessing for those who do not. 
Blessed is the one. And, and really, look, if your translation has happy, that's okay. That's probably a, a, a better way than blessed in this particular um, trans, the translation that we have blessed. Maybe better translated happy. It's like... Uh, the Queen of Sheba said, how happy are your attendants about Solomon? How happy are the ones who walk not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scornful. So it's a warning by God's Spirit to avoid being taken in by the world's advice at any level. And there's something too, walking Standing, sitting, this progression away from God. Because yielding to the world's ways will ultimately lead in a shift of allegiance from God to those who deny God's authority in their lives. And if you make that shift, if you begin to walk in the way of the wicked, the counsel of the wicked, and stand in the way of sinners and sit in the seat of the scornful. There is no telling where you will end and what you will believe. Wicked and sinner are synonymous. Do not internalize the, philosoph the philosophical arguments of those who oppose God and do not conform in any way to their advice. These people who do not trust in Yahweh, but rather trust in themselves to know what is true about God and what is true about the world. And, tr and, and, and those who trust in their ways as being right for themselves and for the world should not be listened to by the believer. We are privileged to come alongside those who don't know Jesus and share the gospel with them. But we must avoid falling prey to the ways of those we are trying to win. The last warning in verse 1 is to avoid sitting in the seat of the scoffer. Uh, this is the one who is least likely to respond to Yahweh. The scoffer is a long way away. He mocks God. He mocks those who believe in God. It's a, it's a, scoffer is from a Hebrew word that is used almost exclusively in Proverbs. And it appears with synonyms such as fool, simple, proud, haughty. The arguments may seem very sophisticated. And surely in step with the times. But according to scripture... The scoffer is as far away from the creator of the universe as one can get. One who initially walks with God and ends in this place did not get here overnight. Which is why Psalm 1 is warning us all along the way, be careful where you're stepping, where you're standing, where you're sitting. No wonder there is a strong Caution in verse 1 before we hear instructions for those who would walk with Yahweh and experience true happiness. The one who is blessed, verse 2, is the one who delights in Yahweh's teaching and meditates night and day on what 
he has heard or read or learned. So what do you think about most of the time? Sports or business or relationships or Instagram or sex or making money or games or politics. Look, we could go on and on and on. Notice that the blessed man and woman of verse 2 meditates on God's instructions day and night. Now look, I, I find myself in this place. Maybe you do too. I start off really well in the morning, first thing in the morning, in the Word, praying, feeling, sensing a real closeness with the Lord. But as the day goes on, you get so distracted with everything that you have to do. You begin to lose that sense of belonging to Yahweh. And I imagine while you may begin well with devotions, by the end of the day, you might be yelling at the television, especially if, you know, hurricanes are playing and the refs are calling seven penalties on the canes and two on the... Well, uh, you may be yelling at the television, the kids or the siblings or at the dog, anyone, anybody. Just, it didn't end where you started off. Day and night, you're to meditate. I'm trying to think about ways to structure my life that this continues consistently all through the day. I'm saying this often today. The Hebrew word for meditate is translated several different ways in the Old Testament. It is a lying, growling over his prey in Isaiah 31.4. It's a pigeon cooing in Isaiah 38.14. Or it's a person muttering in Psalm 115.7. And it's not going to look exactly that way in each of those Translations, if you look it up, that's exactly what it's talking about. Uh, <clears throat> my dad, I've told you this before, maybe recently. My dad used to comment on life as he went along, almost kind of underneath his breath. Breath, He would say something like, well, it appears the bloom is off the rose on that relationship, you know. And, and it, was, it was often really hilarious stuff, and it was even funnier because... He didn't care whether you heard or not. He just went around commenting on life. Well, he appeared not to care. So he may have been just that good, you know. <clears throat> That's somewhat the idea here, especially in context. As you hear conventional wisdom that is contrary to Scripture, mutter the truth of Scripture to yourself. Well, no, we're not going to, we just can't accept that. The Bible says the exact opposite of that is true. And then quote or mutter Yahweh's truth. The result, verse 3, will be that you will be like a tree planted by water, drinking in the nourishment that God has for you. Now, I know that many of the activities and ideas and relationships, relationships that you are currently engaged are exciting to you, thrilling maybe even. I feel so alive when I'm with this group or I'm thinking about that or I'm reading about this. But the water that nourishes the soul and the heart will only be found in God's teaching among God's people. 
The promise that one will prosper in all that he does is not referring to success according to worldly measurements. Remember, the Psalms are filled with lament and pain and complaint. The psalmist who wrote Psalm 1 knew about the inequities of life. It's even more so in the New Testament than the Old. But in the Old Testament, there was a sense of if you will follow God's word and if you will obey his commands, you will prosper in every way imaginable, uh, physically, mentally, financially, every way, every single way. Your children will live long lives. In the New Testament, the promise is if you follow God, you will suffer. Those who will live godly lives in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But even in the Old Testament, they understood there's more to life than meets the eye. And David suffered some, sometimes because of his sin, but early on he suffered through no fault of his own. Just had someone that didn't know the Lord who wanted to kill him. So the psalmist knew about the inequities of life, but his understanding of of prosperity was biblically informed. The water from the stream in verse 3 is not only absorbed by the trees, but in turn it produces something beautiful and useful to the world. Fruit. Fruit that is in season. Your life will be a blessing to others even when life is difficult for you. And maybe especially when life is difficult for you. And the fruit of God's promises to us flows through our lives. The fruit of the righteous one, as this person is identified in verse 6, cannot always be discerned by the state of her finances or the condition of his health. This is a good time to say who the righteous person of the Bible is. Our first inclination might be to think that it's one who does good things. One who obeys God's commands. And the one who is unrighteous or wicked, as is mentioned here, is one who discards or disregards God's commands and says, I don't want anything to do with that. But that's not the way the scripture presents it. In fact... One of the purposes of the law, we're told very clearly in the New Testament, was to reveal our sin to us. The idea that if you obey God, you will be blessed in every way imaginable. One of the reasons it's out there is to show show us, uh, oh, I can't do that. (laughs) There is sin in my life that needs to be dealt with. Now, those who obey God, follow His ways... Truly, such lifestyles are indicators of what a person believes. But we will see repeatedly that the writers of the Psalms acknowledged their sins and were forgiven by God God because of their faith in His mercies. It was God's faithfulness to them and their trust in Him that was the foundation of the relationship that made them righteous. Psalm 32, 1 through 5 is an example. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. 
through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Salah. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Salah. Forgiveness of sin comes when we acknowledge our sin before the Lord and we trust His mercies. Saints in the Old Testament saved the same way saints in the New Testament are by believing the promises of God. Now, we understand that those promises are centered in Jesus. They didn't know that. But even though they were not looking toward the cross, it made no sense to them. Romans 3 says that God was looking toward the cross. And he forgave them because of their trust in his promises. Because our sins had separated us from God. We were hopelessly lost unless God did something about it. No way we could make our way to God and change our condition and change our status. Before we knew Jesus, we were classified as the wicked in Psalm 1. Even though our lives might have been shining examples of what a moral person should be. Honest, lots of integrity, uh, thoughtful, caring. Our sin, though, is too offensive for a holy God to change his mind. We're not going to get him to change his mind about our sin. Something had to be done, and it was done in the most shocking and yet marvelous way. God sent his son, Jesus, to live the perfect life we were unable to live, and then to die the death that we deserved. And when we acknowledge or repent of our sin before a holy and righteous creator, and when we trust that Jesus died in our place, then we are born again and brought into God's family. In verse 4 of Psalm 1, God declares the end of those who do not trust in him, but who instead make their own way in life. Rather than like a tree that puts its roots down by the waters. The wicked are like the dried husk of a grain that is useless and thus discarded. Therefore, verse 5, those who trust in themselves rather than the Lord will not stand or endure in the judgment. The wicked will not endure. They will be in the judgment But they will not stand through the judgment. They have no foundation, no fruit, and thus nothing on which to stand. This is where those who trust in themselves are heading. Are these the people that you would like to lead and guide you? Look, I, 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 last night after the wedding that was in here, beautiful wedding, Kyle and Erica White, who we will welcome back home as a married couple next week. After the wedding, I went home and I thought, wow, I don't have a lot of specifics. But look, I trust the Holy Spirit to bring all kinds of specifics into your minds with the general principles that are in Psalm 1. 
The ideas and assistance of those who don't follow the Lord but make their own way in life may seem invaluable to you in this present age. But ultimately, ultimately, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. The writer concludes this psalm by saying, Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Those of you who are in high school, those of you who are in college, hear this. Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There is every indication that we are, especially young ones, moving away from God. This is true or it's not. Yahweh knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. If you believe this and you live your life accordingly, you will increasingly be considered foolish by the world. They will know you and think you a fool, but what does it matter if Yahweh knows you? To be known by Yahweh is to be chosen to be His child, to be cared for and to be protected. From evil. When his face is toward you, when his eye is on you, then you can be assured that his heart is fully committed to you. And really, this is the beautiful truth not that we are committed to him, but he is committed to us. And we ought to walk in his ways because of that beautiful truth. This can be true of us because of Jesus. And as you hear it many times, when the Father looks at you, he sees Jesus and he is pleased. Three points of application that I am going to share are self-evident, but they need to be said anyway. Beginning with, take your cues from life, from God's word rather than worldly wisdom. You will be happy that you did. Maybe not next week, maybe not two years from now when you are a rising junior in university. But I promise you, you'll be happy that you did. I love the intergenerational mix in our church body. I hope you appreciated that when Jim shared what he did this morning and when he prayed And thanked God for those who have served us well in this nation. And for the one who served us most beautifully. By giving his life that we might live. Our series in Paul's letter to Titus this fall is going to instruct us. Or will instruct us to make sure that we have interaction between the generations. Don't just look around and be happy because there are old people here or young people here. We got to mix. We got to hear. And if we were to ask maybe three or four of our senior saints to come and say, 
And, and they were asked the question, what are some of the traits or character traits that you used to see in people in the past that you no longer see? I'm sure somewhere along the way, perseverance would be one of those things. We've lost the, the, the willingness to persevere. Not the ability to persevere. We haven't lost the ability to persevere. But we've lost any interest in hanging with something difficult when we don't see almost immediate Results, Because if one cannot see immediate results, then it's on to the next thing. I'm not wasting my time here. After all, we need to be happy in this life, right? Well, Psalm 1 tells us the only place happiness can be found. And it begins with avoiding the philosophy, advice, and bent of the world. We're going to hear sometime we're going to find a way to hear from Mike Money Penny on how that happened with him in college and just beyond that. Psalm 1 over and over tells us that we will see the benefit of delighting in the Lord's instruction, even if the world calls us a fool. How should we respond when everything around us falls apart? (laughs) That's one of the purposes of the Psalms, to show us how to respond, to cry out to God, even when we are pressed to conform to the ways of the world. And it would make so much immediate sense to do so. So God's going to show us how to do that. Second, we need to spend more time with believers than we do with unbelievers. But proclaim to all the blessings of following God's word. Now that's, you just wouldn't, a lot of evangelical churches today would say, look, you've got to spend your time amongst the lost. That's where you're called to be to go out to the lost. I get that. I understand that. But again, Think about God's covenant people and and the gathering that we have, not only on Sunday morning, but in home groups and at other times and other places that prepare us to witness well. The importance of understanding that the Psalms were written to God's covenant people cannot be overstated. The Psalms help us to help one another understand a God that cannot be seen in a world that largely denies his authority and increasingly denies his existence. That's all you hear all the time. Sooner or later, you're going to be in trouble. Colossians 3.16 in the New Testament admonishes us this way. Let the word of the Lord or the word of Christ, I'm sorry, the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The you here is plural. In, the, in southern, that's y'all. So he's addressing the community. The community is being instructed, not simply individuals. Please understand this, and I have to remind myself of this all the time. It is not your similarity with the world that attracts the world to Christ. It is more often the distinctives that are inherent in being a member of God's family and living communally as 
uh, those who belong to the Lord and according to His word. That's of great interest to those who don't know Jesus. What do you have that I don't have? James Taylor said he's a, he's a, um, a, a, a jealous agnostic because he understands the benefit of community in the church. But somehow he can't bring himself to believe in God. But, the, but that's a lot different than the James Taylor of earlier because he just mocked any belief in God. Now he says, boy, I just wish I could be that because I see what you have. I almost uh, titled this point, it's time for us to become even more strange in the eyes of the world. Now, actually, literally, I was going to say it's time for us to become weirder in the eyes of the world. (laughs) The point would have been that we need to be much more intentional about not only being together, but sharing scripture with one another, like Colossians 3.15. One of the ways that a lady in our home group does this is to share what she learns in her devotional time in the morning with people all throughout the day. That's a great idea. Whatever you learn, make sure that you share that with other people through the day, believers and unbelievers alike. That's a great idea. Last, live with the day of judgment in mind. Look for Jesus to return any day. The day will come when everything confusing will make sense and we will see the truth of God's word played out to perfection. Timothy Seleska says about verse 6, The wicked do not realize that there will be a final accounting when they will be asked to pay what they owe. Thank God that when we stand before our holy and righteous creator, Jesus will step in and say, Father, I have settled her account. He belongs to me. This one was born in Zion. And if you're old enough to remember Wayne Watson, that's an added bonus. We'll close with Psalm 87, verses 5 to 6. And of Zion, it shall be said, This one and that one were born in her, the people of God. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples in the Lamb's book of life. This one was born there. Let's pray. Father, If we have believed that Jesus died for us, we were born again. We were born in Zion. And we are pilgrims in a land that denies 
that the Zion of the Old Testament exists. But we believe. And Lord, we confess that we are weak and unable to live in ways that would glorify you and point to you. But we know that strength is available. And it's not our strength. It's the power of the Holy Spirit in Romans 8, helping us to live in Romans 6 kind of ways. So, Father, we yield ourselves to you this day. And we do so with great gratitude that you have redeemed us, that you have shown us the truth. And it's in times like these when we are together hearing the word that our hearts believe. That our hearts are encouraged. And that we stand with you as those who meditate day and night in Yahweh's instructions. We're grateful that you loved us, brought us into your family, and that we are associated with you no matter how foolish it looks in the world. Lord Jesus, may we be worthy representatives, only worthy because of Jesus' blood. But may we endeavor to know and love and obey and serve you. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.